welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Goedemorgen. Baie dankie vir die geleentheid om hier by julle te wees vandag. It's a lekker dag. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, together with God's people. And yeah, you guys have a lovely spot here. Um, I see you got the cameras outside ready for filming all the action that takes place. Um, but I enjoyed the singing. You guys did well. And uh, good to, to be able to do that. Uh, Kirsty and I and Caden, we're just uh, very grateful for your support as you uh, are co-workers with us in the gospel here in the garden room. And um, just for your investment in the ministry in Eisner as well and in our families' lives. We are grateful for all that God is doing. It has been uh, just wonderful to see um, how in spite of COVID, which everyone has been through, and yes, it has been a while since we've been here, but, um, you know, for just to see everybody getting filtering back into church, uh, getting back there and uh, not being too relaxed at home, you know, where you can just lie in bed and listen to the service. Uh, now you need to get up, have breakfast, get ready. And our service is normally at 9.30, so for us to get up uh, to be here this morning, we had to get up like a normal weekday, which was really great. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I say that seriously. <laughs> you don't believe me. I always remember when I was at uh, a community Bible church in Leondale, up in Johannesburg, uh, one of the churches in a colored community, uh, they had their service at 8 o'clock in the morning. But it was a two-hour service, but still they finished early. Uh, and uh, it was great, you know, you get to church, you have a great time. And you go home and you have a good time in the day to, to worship the Lord and to spend time with your families. But nonetheless, yeah, um, Lagoon Side is doing uh, well as a church. Uh, we are very stable and thank the Lord for some new families and couples that have been slowly migrating into town as in all the other towns down here and joining our fellowship. And we have a lovely core of people that love the Lord and that are sincere. And uh, we have a, just an amazing time around God's Word. And I think if there's anything that I'm hoping to accomplish this year with our people is to get them excited about God's Word. Um, we need to, you know, we, we, we need to be in God's Word daily, reading it and studying it and sharing it with others, all the wonderful things we see in the precious uh, pages of God's Word. Um, so yeah, uh, we have a, a ladies' meeting which uh, Kirsty's involved with, which meets every week. And they have tackled this, this just recently, the book of Isaiah. So I, I've never preached through the book of Isaiah or taught through it, but I love it. But I said, well, when you guys succeed in it, then you can share with me what you've learned out of it, because it's quite a challenging book. Um, in our Iron Man Men's Study, we are going through the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and looking at the Beatitudes and different things. Um, and our Men's Study Group and our Ladies' Study Group really is, is growing, and we have some wonderful folk that are being filtered in through those studies, and we have amazing discussions around God's Word. So, yeah, just keep praying for us, and thank you for your support and all that you're doing. Uh, for Caden, uh, life has changed during COVID. We just, a year before COVID, decided we would homeschool him. Uh, and so during the, scope, the COVID time, he was at home, and didn't, we didn't have to kind of worry about things being interrupted, which was great. And Kirsty works from home for my sister in New Zealand, and that helps us a bit as well. Um, and uh, we've all been relatively generally healthy and well, other than the first year of COVID, I was quite ill and uh, probably close to being hospitalized. But the Lord brought us through that. And uh, now we've passed all that stuff. 
and we're just thankful that we can move on. I just continue to pray for Kirsty. It's just got some thyroid issues which has been dealt with at the moment. So we don't get a lot of sleep at night. But uh, we're here, so we're grateful for that. But yeah, anyway, but we're here to listen to God's word. So uh, let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, with me to Second Kings chapter 11. Second Kings chapter 11. And uh, we're going to look at some things there, which I trust will encourage you and uh, just uh, perhaps excite you about God's word this morning, about God's plan, and the fact that we are part of the kingdom of God as children of God, and we look forward to one day to be with him as he rules and reigns. Um, so there's a lot of things we'll cover here, not a, a normal sermon by any means, but uh, I think let's just uh, have a look at it this morning. Before we read the passage, uh, let's just pray. Father, Lord, we just are grateful to be able to be together as a people of God, to be able to open the pages of your word, whether it's digital or whether it's a, a book in front of us, Lord, ultimately we have your word. And uh, Father, it is not just a love letter for us, but it tells us amazing things about you, about your plan, and that you will accomplish it, and not one word that you say will not take place. Everything you say and do will come, place, come to pass just as you say, and Lord, though Satan might desire to distract things, to try to undermine them, to try to uh, render them devoid of any effectiveness, yet Lord God, your word reigns supreme. And so, Father, we pray that your word might encourage us this morning in these things. Amen. All right, so, we're going to read there, for starters, uh, Second Chroni- uh, sorry, Second Kings 11, from verse 1 through verse 3. <clears throat> it says, Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, Sister of Ahaziah took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons that were, were being put to death. And she put him in his nursing in bed, in, in, and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now, as we think of... <clears throat> Our Savior that we have, that we worship, He is both King and Lord. And He is God. He is Creator. In Luke 23, verse 38, it says, There was also an inscription written above Him when He was crucified, King of the Jews. That was correct. And the people debated that. And they were were not happy with that. But it was true. Not only that, but Revelation 19, 16 says, On His robe and on His thigh, he, He has a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And then we go to Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, the Lamb who conquered them, for He is the Lord of Lords, and king of kings, and those who are called, or with him are called and chosen and faithful. So this morning, perhaps I can say this, that the called, the chosen, and the faithful speak. And you and I are part of that. We have been called out of this world, into, out of darkness, into light, 
we have been called to become children of God, adopted into the family of God, and joint heirs with Christ. He is our King. He is our Lord. And we find that as we look in God's Word, that He was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, but ultimately when He is revealed to the world, they will see Him as King. And at that time, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. That is our God. That is our Savior. But you know that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this up through verse 21, and you're welcome to turn there if you want to. We will come back to 2 Kings in a moment. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, he has, all, has been, all things have become new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We have the responsibility to be used of God to reconcile people to him. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 goes on and says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And a few things as we go through this this morning, say with me, is that he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed us to that. And we are to be ambassadors for him. Now what does an ambassador do? We are to represent him. To represent our country. So we are strangers in this world. We are pilgrims passing through because our home ultimately is with him in glory. But he has given us the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. To be able to tell others that they are alienated from God. They are separate from him. And... That Christ has died and made it possible to break that divide and bring us back to Him. And we are to live that out in our lives. And to share the gospel, to live it out so people can see Christ in us. Now, if you know the Savior personally, do you live as though He is your God? As if He is your King? It will, make, or it will take great courage to live out our faith properly taking this ministry upon us and being an ambassador for Christ. You will need courage to stand for Him, to live for Him, more and more as the days go by. See, the Lord uses you and I as His ambassadors for the world to know there is a God in heaven who cares about us and how we live in relation to Him and to others. That people are born dead in sin and trespass it's imperative that they hear the gospel, the good news that there is hope from judgment, found only in the finished work of Christ and Calvary. You're probably wondering where I'm going with regards to our text in Second Kings. But you know, we want to look at the aspect of Christ being our King this morning, us being His ambassadors. But in our passage that we read in Second Kings, we know from God's word that God promised David 
that there would perpetually be a king on the throne from his descendants. Ultimately, we know that he's going to point to Christ. And that was given and reiterated to Solomon as well. And at this point in the book of 2 Kings, we've come to a place where we're in the divided kingdom. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, whose capital is Samaria. And you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And their capital is Jerusalem. And as you go through the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, you see the different kings that come and go. And in Israel, most of the time, they were terrible. It started out with idolatry and Baal worship, and it just got worse and worse. And they tried sometimes to restore things and to change things. But really, ultimately, they didn't succeed very well. But at this juncture here, things begin to overlap a little bit in the relationship between the kings and between their daughters and sons. Because we find here that Athaliah, who is the daughter of Jezebel, and we often think of Jezebel as kind of one of the most wicked women in the Bible. But I have to remind myself when I look at this passage that her daughter was not a lot better. Because what happens is, a few chapters back here, in chapter 9, God tells Elisha that he must appoint Jehu to be king. And so he sends out a messenger to go and to anoint Jehu as king, who is one of the generals there. And that is for Israel in the northern kingdom. But what happens is, when Jehu gets back and he's anointed, he goes and he kills the current king, which is then not only so, but he does a little bit further than that, and he destroys also and kills the king of Judah. So now he is the king of Israel, and Judah is without a king, and Athaliah, it was her son that is killed, Ahaziah. He gets killed. So what happens as we look at this passage here? It says, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, son, saw that he was dead. The son was dead. She arose. What is her reaction? Not to appoint the next son to be king or something. But it says there, she destroys the royal family. She goes out and she tries to get rid of her sons and her grandsons. And she kills them. Now, God's plan in pointing Jehu was because he wanted to root out Jezebel and all her descendants and what she was doing and because of the idolatry in the land. But at the same time, now we end up in a situation where Athaliah puts herself up as queen in and she rules for several years there. She wanted to wipe things out so she could be in control. You see, ultimately... The world would love to, to break the chain, as it were, of the promises that God would send someone through David to be king. And that is what is happening over here. But there's an interesting person that comes up in our text. The person is Jehoshiba. Now when I read about Jehoshiba and I asked a few of the, the men at the BLI at the Bible College and a few other people, who is Jehoshiba? And they looked at me and thought, well, I don't know who he is. But actually, it's a woman. Alright? And uh, she, single-handedly, then goes and she secretly <coughs> takes the youngest son of the king and she hides him away in the temple. But now as we think of kings and the fact that God is now 
preserving his promises and his word that ultimately through the line of David we would get a king who would be our savior. This one woman is able to, to hide him and to preserve him to bring that to pass. And yet we don't hear much about her, but she's there. Now, when we think of kings, we know that uh, in England there's been a lot of changes recently. And uh, Charles is now the king. And sometime early next year he will have his coronation. And the interesting thing is in, in England is that uh, when the king is coronated, there is a special procedure to take place, but there is also a special stone that is used, which is called the Stone of Scoon, which means the Stone of Destiny. At the moment, it's in Scotland. And all the kings, even Queen Mary, in 1953, when she was coronated, they had to take that stone and put it there, and there's a kind of a different wooden throne they put over that stone now, these days, and she was coronated on that stone in that place. And Charles, when he gets coronated as king next year, they will transport that stone from Scotland to Westminster Abbey. And they will put this wooden throne there, not his nice, precious, golden throne. And he will have his coronation service in that place with that stone. Because that's how they have done it since 1226 odd. Going back a long way with this stone. Now, I'm saying that because when it comes to appointing the kings in Israel, they were to be appointed in the temple. And there was a way God wanted it to be done. And so, you know, the coronation of the kings of Israel and Judah were to be done in the temple. The ceremony would take place in the doorway of the temple in Jerusalem. And he was led to a pillar there where it was a crown was placed on his head and a testimony, the copy of the word of God, of the law at the time, was given to him, and he would have his coronation as king. A specific place and way that it would be done. And so here we find this, this uh, Jehosheba, she takes this young boy, who's a year old, and hides him in the temple. It just so happens that her husband is the priest. And so she puts him in a position now where he's got to help her and they've got to be there together. But for six years or seven years now, when the child is seven years old, they have been looking after the child in secret and hiding him away and keeping him there. Secret from Athaliah, Jezebel's daughter. Otherwise, they would be killed. It says in verse 4 of our passage in 2 Kings, but the seventh year Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Korites and the guards and them that come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son and commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do, one third of you, those who come on duty, off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate of Sur and the third at the gate behind the guards shall guard the palace. So what is happening here is that they're coming to a point where they're going to crown this young boy as king who will continue the line of David. And they're getting ready for that. He is now seven years old, this young boy, and he's going to be a very young king. His name is Joash, the son of Ahaziah. 
So Jeshiva, which means actually Yahweh or Jehovah is an oath, we see is living out how God is keeping his promises to us and to David. It is wonderful to see how throughout Scripture everything weaves together and God makes sure that he keeps his word. When he says something, it will happen. It's as good as done. And that is why he can even say to us, the children of God, behold, now are we the children of God. When we receive Christ as Savior. He keeps his word. So what takes place? You know, there's a lot missing that we don't see here that is actually in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 22. And you're welcome to read that at home. But in Second Chronicles 22, we find out what takes place in that the priest now begins to prepare the people for the coronation. And over several months, he's sending word out to all the priests throughout the country because the priests, remember, were not given a piece of land for an inheritance, but they were given different cities scattered throughout the land. A wonderful way that God could make sure there was always representatives of the word throughout all the country for them. But he begins to send word out all over the place and he has to be careful. He has to be careful that somehow maybe somebody is loyal to Queen Athaliah and lets the word out what is happening and she comes and just kills them. So turn with me then, if you would, quickly to Second Chronicles in your Bibles. And go to chapter 23. It says, But in the seventh year, Jehoiada the priest took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jerome, Ishmael the son of Johanan, Azariah the son of Obed, Messiah the son of Adiah, Elashaphat, the son of Zechri, and they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of the fathers of the house of Israel, and they called them to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God, and Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son. Let him reign, as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. So, he has sent word out and he's bringing all the people together, but he is doing this all without Athaliah knowing about it. And he brings the people together. And uh, what we find in the passage we were reading in Second Kings, we'll go back there now if you don't mind, getting your page around a little bit there. But he's instructed the God. There were three sets of gods that would have change of God at different times. And so he says to them, when we do this, then those who come off duty, they come to the temple. Those who are not on duty, <coughs> they must come to the temple. And you see, it was a very clever strategy because they didn't call some strange, uh, some, some meeting publicly that Athaliah would hear about. But he set the timing so that it's at the timing of the change of God. When they would all be kind of close by and they were to all go to the temple. And they were to sit on either side of the temple, the different areas of the temple, and to protect this young seven-year-old baby boy who was the king. And they were instructed that if anybody steps through, you take their life. You know, it's, it's so, if we, we, if we could get our minds in a better picture of the context of all that has been going on, of all the people that have been killed and destroyed, and the idolatry and all that has been taking place, to realize that we come to this point where this boy's life is saved. It's an amazing feat. 
And so they do this and they have the coronation at the place where he needs to be coronated with everything that needs to be done. But you see, in Second Chronicles it said that the priest had to take courage. He had to take courage. It took a lot of heart and courage for him to be able to get all these people together, to get the word out that there is a king. But it was part of God's plan. And God allowed it all to work out just how he wanted it. So here's the thing for us this morning as we think about these things. God has promised in his word many things. And each of those he brings to pass when the time is right just the way he says. But you know what? It took a lady like Jehoshaphat to be willing to step out and to do something. To do what is right. And God used her. And for you and I, it will take a step of faith for us to be able to be a witness for the Lord. To be an ambassador for Christ. To be able to step out in faith and live out that life that God wants us to live. It's not a secret life. The life of the believer is a public life. The world is watching us. And what do they see? Do we live as citizens of heaven, as children of the king? Do we live according to God's word? And not only that, but like we saw with the priest, it took courage to inform people there is a king. Now we often talk about sharing the gospel. We don't often maybe perhaps think of conveying him as king. But we know, as we've seen in the passages we read in the beginning, that ultimately, if they do not get to hear about the Lord, and be willing to turn from sin to trust in Him, then what will happen? They will stand before Him as, and the books will be opened and they will be condemned. Because they might perhaps be trying to live their life by the law or being morally good or this or that, but ultimately they are sinners. And God will punish them into a Christless eternity. But just like these two this couple, her and her husband, were used as instruments by God to preserve and to fulfill what He had promised us. You and I, according to Paul in God's Word, says that you and I are called to be ministers of the Gospel. To share it with others. That doesn't necessarily mean that we take our Bibles and we go there and we kind of bash people on the head with it or something. But we are to, to be able to be a good witness by our lives. They need to be able to see a Christ-like spirit in you and I. They need to be aware of where we go, what we do. We go to God's house to learn, to grow. We go out to share and to encourage. To lead people to Christ, to disciple them, to pray with them, to counsel them. And so, my encouragement to you this morning is a few. One is that God will always keep His word. Secondly is that you and I are involved in God's plan. Just like these two were. You might never remember Jehoshaphat again after today. I don't know. But if you can remind yourself that God has a plan. He works through the church. And what is the church? It's not this building. It's you. It's me. 
We are His ambassadors. And so whether it's at home, in the family, whether it's with friends when we're out, whether it's out in the community, wherever we are, we are ambassadors for Christ. And He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We can be used as instruments to make people aware of the God who loves them, but hates sin. And if they can look and see that, and get to be exposed to the Word of God, the Lord can do His work and bring them. But are you willing to do that? And I want to encourage you that whether you are young or old, it is for all of us. When we look at the lives of many of those in God's Word, you know, even look at Joshua and Caleb, by the time they got their inheritance, they were in their late 80s. And Caleb, when he was given his portion of land, he looked and he saw a place where there was this great, this hill where there were giants and things, but it was a great piece of land. And he said, give me this mountain at 85 or so. And he went and took his people and conquered it for him. God can use us at any age for his glory. You move in a sphere, in a circle of life of people that are your own age. And they need the gospel too. And for some, perhaps, the time is very short. There's a dear lady in our church, Dawn. I've probably known her for, sure, I don't know, I'm 56 now. Um, I guess since I was in my early teens. Maybe even before that. And she was an avid person for sharing the gospel with people. But she's 87 now. And the other day they phoned and said, we think she's going to go. She's not been well. So we rushed there and we went there and we prayed with her, but she wasn't conscious. And um, the next day, she was washed, dressed, at breakfast and lunch. So we don't know God's timing for her. She is slowly deteriorating and God will take her home. But you know, even in her time there, being elderly, she was sharing the gospel with those around her. Because the message is the same for all of us. And perhaps you know somebody that is in that time of their lives that don't know Christ. They need to hear at a church in Joburg, there was a, a lady there. Her husband was also of a similar age without Christ. I remember sharing the gospel with him and he said, No, well, I don't need that. Initially, he says that I can just uh, go to God myself. I don't need to come through Jesus. And I visited him a few times and somehow the Lord graciously turned his heart. And he came to know Christ the Savior and a week later, he was gone to be with the Lord. So we must take every opportunity that God gives us. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But let's be like these two, this couple. Like Athaliah, I mean not Athaliah, no, don't be like her. <laughs> like Jehoshaphat and her husband. Who are willing to step out in faith and act in courage. To be used of God in fulfilling His plan. And we can be the same to be used of Him. He uses you and I as His children to be witnesses for Him. And ultimately we will stand with Him one day and we will see many that will be there that know Christ because of our witness. Your town is growing. 
And so many more people are filtering down here for whatever reason. Some know the Lord and love Him and will find a good church. But there are many that come without Christ. And so shine bright, folk. Be a witness for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we, uh, we look at your word, there's many exciting things that we find in the word of God. And how you keep your promises, you keep your covenants, and you bless your people. It took a lady to step out in faith, knowing that she needs to do the right thing to be able to save this young boy at a year old from his grandmother, really, from being killed. And so his aunt saves him. But ultimately we know, Lord God, you are fulfilling your plan. You will ensure that these things come to pass. And so ultimately, Lord, we will stand before you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we will rejoice. We know that if we were to take further time in this passage, once this young man was coronated as king, and they got rid of Athaliah and all the places of Baal worship, that the land and the city had peace. Well, people can only come to that point of peace when they bring themselves into line with your word. And that goes for the unsaved that need to know Christ. And even for the believer, Lord God, we can only truly enjoy peace when we are in line with your word and in step with you. And so we pray that your will be done and fulfilled in our lives. Continue, Lord God, to accomplish all that you desire through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.